Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to Hub City Homers, episode 40. Four, excuse me. Um, this is a episode that we kind of consider the, I guess, the jump off point for football. Um, we're going to wrap up our NIL discussion from last week. We were, or excuse me, now two weeks ago, we were going to record earlier, but due to some just scheduling mix ups and just guys traveling and all that jazz, we weren't able to get to it last week. So we're going to use our first half of the episode cleaning up that discussion, finishing on a few points related to some of the non revenue sports, some of the other angles we didn't get to the NIL. Uh, topic originally. Now we are officially in the football preseason. Teams are reported on campus, practices are starting. So the back half of this episode will be our first discussion about Texas Tech football um, primer for the season. And this is going to be an expectations discussion. I do believe we've had a pretty good expectations discussion previously. I want to go back over some points, approach it from a few other angles, just because I think it's a really good jump off point before in the next coming weeks, as we look at, you know, the offense, the defense wins, losses, schedule, etc. Once we start really diving in and get rolling on the year, um, it's going to be something we don't really talk about again until the end of the season. When we're looking back, did we define did we can we define this a successful season or was it a failure? So I think it's a great jump off point. And even though I think we're going to touch on some of the things we've already discussed, I want to use it again to have this conversation. I'm joined by Jack and Reed tonight. Kendall was called into work last minute, can't be with us. Reed will be with us for this football season. I don't know if we've mentioned that, but he will be here for football season, and that's that's a huge win. Um, he was working with the team previous years and was not able to write or talk about it. So now we're able to have Reed on board, and we're looking forward to his thoughts. So we're going to get right into this, though, on the NIL front. And I want to approach this from the tech angle first, as we did last time, which is the news that Level Agency, Level 13 Agency, has decided to sign the Lady Raiders basketball team to a team-wide NIL deal valued at approximately $25,000 per student. 
um, the deal is related to this is not a collective similar to the Matador Club. This is an actual NIL agency, their job, they promote and market. So this isn't like the last one where it's donations fed from donors. Kirkley Knowles started the Level 13 agency. I don't know who his other partners are off the top of my head, but it is a true NIL um, for-profit endeavor. Unlike the Matador Club where there's charity involved, this will likely involve promotion of brands of some sort. It's a branding agency. I don't, I think they also sold merchandise in the past. So we'll have to see what it actually breaks down to, but that's the key distinction. This is not for charity. This is a true for-profit endeavor. Um, So we're going to start looking at that and I'll go with Reed first here. Reed, when you're looking at the Lady Raider basketball team, what does it mean to see such an investment into the women's game, Um, especially for a program that has struggled mightily the last hell, like, 20 years almost has been very unsuccessful on the, on the basketball court. Yeah, I do. Uh, I do. I do think that's huge, not only for the lady Raider basketball team, but just women's sports in general, uh, you know, like major sports outlets were, you know, kind of documenting the news of the NIL deal that they got. And I think it says a lot that they didn't, that agency didn't go after the men's basketball team or uh, the baseball team, you know, that, it's probably a team that's going to generate more eyes and stuff that uh more than what the lady basketball team would attack but um it's definitely going to go a long way especially kind of responding right behind football doing that from uh, the matador club um i think that just kind of opens the door for, for more universities to to do that i mean obviously there's programs kind of like you said text lady team hasn't been relatively consistently good for a while um, there's obviously other programs out there that are got more money pumped into women's basketball and stuff. So I think it'll be interesting to see kind of, you know, what that foundation lays for, for other schools and, you know, kind of what that entails for what's to come in the future for women's basketball in college. There's, there's a slogan that kind of gets thrown around with the women's game now that's kind of been used to argue for its promotion, which is, uh, basically saying that investing in women's the women's game is not only like quote unquote the right thing to do but it's also a necessary thing if you want to grow your investment right because here's what we've kind of learned about sports is the men's game may or may not be reaching you know kind of the top end earning there's far less growth potential uh investing in the women's game is becoming more and more the area of growth, right? Like the women's softball tournament this year, I think it was the biggest it's ever been, despite the fact that, oh, you just train wrecked everybody and marched right through it. You know, that was a lot of fun. Women's basketball, the tournament's getting bigger every single year. So I think that there is something to be said for the fact that, yes, it is critical to start investing in your women's program. And if you're not investing in your women's program, you're falling behind. Uh, Because I think for the university, the next major women's earning sport is going to be women's basketball. Or should I say the first one, right? Basketball is going to start earning money faster than softball. Those are the two critical women's sports in terms of, you know, if they're a big two or three is probably basketball, softball, soccer. Um, Tech already has a pretty strong soccer program. They don't, they have an improving volleyball program. Um, they have a good women's golf program. Softball and basketball, though, have been letting everybody down, and those are the two most visible women's sports. So to invest heavily in one like this is a sign that the university is trying to start winning on this, right? And for the the level 13 agency is also – it's a good thing to do after football, right? You know, you just saw 100-odd guys or whatever the final number is with scholarship plus preferred walk-ons 
think it was like 90 something, but you know, when you just saw all of those guys, some of whom will do far less for the university in terms of production than anyone on any basketball team for either gender get 25,000 each. So it was a good sign that they're willing to put that in. It's also a commitment to winning. You know, you're not going to invest money like that in a program that you don't care about. And while I like to think that tech is abiding by the NIL rules, I do believe that there is some guidance from coaches and, uh, you know, from the administrators on kind of areas they'd like to see NIL money flowing. I I don't pretend that tech isn't playing that game like everybody else is, where you're playing fast and loose with the rules. But it is a good sign for the university and for the women's game, which is something to talk about, right? Like it's becoming more and more clear that investing in that game is the fastest way to grow. It's the fastest growing um, um, demographic. You know, everybody who's a football fan is more or less a football fan unless you go overseas. So if you want to grow and reach a new audience, the best way to do it is to become, do what, you know, UConn's done, you know, have these big time players come to Texas tech, have these people that ESPN wants to talk about come to tech and, well, I'm sure the UConn basketball team doesn't have problems with NIL. They're crazy about their women's team. Other programs will, you know, and this is where Tech can swoop in here and start getting top talent and, and start competing again. So I'm hopeful that that's what this means. And, Jack, I want to let you finish off the talk about the, the, the ladies and their NIL deal by asking you a question from a different perspective. Baylor and Texas have more or less been the top program in the Big 12 um, Oklahoma's had years where they've been good, not so much lately, but right now Baylor's at the top. When you're looking at this from a, just a pure recruiting perspective, um, is there a chance that Tech can start trying to position itself to seriously compete at the highest level, not just get back to being a tournament team, but try to leverage this to get back to the top? I mean, absolutely. Uh, if, you, if you think it doesn't make sense, then you're not paying, or if it doesn't make a difference, you're not paying attention. This is the first deal of its kind in the women's game. It's not, definitely not done in the Big 12 yet. Uh, I saw something today, not in the women's game, but I saw something today that, that uh, Arizona State has also made a collective similar to what our Matador club is for college football. And it's very interesting to see other universities follow suit. And it's also really cool to be on that leading front edge for a change. And when I say for a change, I feel like tech is pretty good about leading the charge in certain things, maybe not athlete relations or how they treat their athletes per se, but they've always been good about it for the most part. Um, The thing that is really cool to me is tech being that leading edge program, seeing tech or seeing people like the Matador club, like level 13, you know, donate this, all this money to, these programs predominantly level 13 only deals with basketball. Uh, while y'all were discussing it, I was kind of digging into their uh, stuff on their website and you can donate to their cause because, because it's a true NIL fund, you can donate to the level 13 agency. And when you're donating it, 
gives you the option to select what program you're donating to. And you can choose men's basketball, women's basketball, or the level 13 general fund. Um, so, you know, men's basketball, I would assume that there's, it's not going to be long before the men's basketball team has a similar deal with everyone getting, I would assume somewhere close to 25 K per athlete. Uh, it's, it's a really cool time. And it's just very cool to see tech on the front edge of that. And I don't know about y'all too, but if I'm a kid that is coming out of high school and I'm in between tech and some other school, and I see that tech is on the leading edge of getting its players, everyone, not just the starters and the star guys. If I'm, if I'm coming and I'm between tech and whoever for football and I'm like, Oh, well team B doesn't even have an NIL unless you're a star player. But if I go to tech, I'm getting a $25,000 NIL commitment per season. Are you going to tell me that that doesn't push you to go to tech? I think it does for women's basketball too. It's the same concept, you know? Well, yeah, lately tech women's basketball has kind of been on a down in a downward spiral. It's been kind of low hanging for a lower tier team for a while. I think they're heading in the right direction. They're trending the proper direction, but you can bet your ass that this helps. And, you know, some girl that might be getting recruited out of high school by Texas or Baylor, but says, oh, well, I see that Texas Tech is giving giving this NIL money and it doesn't matter if I'm on the bench the first year or if I'm a star player where you're telling me I'm only going to get paid if I'm a starter as a freshman with five returners. I'm, I mean, it's almost a no-brainer. So I think that this opens up a lot of doors and I think it opens up more doors to more athletes than anyone could think. And I think right now is the time that all tech sports who have this should jump on this opportunity while the other schools are still trying to scramble to catch up because this is the time right now, as we're talking, as we're recording this, where tech is standing out among these schools. So let's capitalize on it. Yeah. And I think, I think when you talk about these, you know, NIL deals and how they matter. It's just something to be said. I think Reed mentioned this and I think, you know, it's something to be said about, um, you know, that when you look at how, what players are looking at when they're trying to come facilities matter, right? Like, especially in the women's game, facilities are a big deal for women's sports because that's how historically programs have measured investment there, right? Like if you want, to, to figure out who's got the best women's basketball programs, all these things. When you're a recruit, you're going to look at who's spending the most on their facilities because the women's game is not drawing in a ton of revenue. So it is a commitment by the school to kind of take on a money loser to do it. Um, you know, tech has the Womble center that they share with the men's team, which is the best basketball facility bar none in the country. I mean that hundred percent. It is as nice as what anybody else has got. And I think it's nicer than most. And on top of that, you know, they're playing their games in the USA, which is a top tier venue. So Tech has that perspective. Now you have this, this once 
at least so far, kind of once in a lifetime opportunity to go make what is effectively almost, you know, what I think I saw somewhere it's like half of a WNBA rookie deal, deal, right? Like they don't make a ton of money in the WNBA and women's basketball players stay four years. So now instead of saying, well, right, like I can, my top end earnings in the WNBA, unless I'm a superstar is like $60,000, $70,000. I can make a hundred thousand dollars in college, right? Like I can make a hundred thousand dollars in college and the average WNBA players and, you know, going to make another 70 or 80 and live comfortably. And you've got a nice little nest egg. And also some of these players who are in bad financial situations, right? Like this is huge encouragement. So I think this completes the package for tech. Now I want to take the conversation also to the other non-revenue sports, which, and, you know, look at this from one particular angle, which is, are we going to see parity start to break down in the women's game even more than it kind of already has, right? OU softball's become the dominant superpower. Um, um, UConn basketball's kind of been the dominant superpower in, in, on the women's basketball game. Are we going to see these NIL deals create and consolidate these schools where the buy-in's already there, right? OU's winning all these national titles. Are they going to start outspending? They're probably going to have more boosters willing to outspend on softball. Is there a threat to the parity of the women's game with these kind of endeavors? Reed, I'll let you start there. Yeah, I definitely think that's uh, kind of a fair assessment to have about it. Um, I, I mean, I think you could say the same thing about any sport for, for either gender. I mean, there's obviously teams in college football such as Alabama, and you know, not necessarily Clemson last year or two, but originally the Clemson's and um, some other schools like that, you know, kind of in, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, well, they've been this good for that long. Uh, you know, how how is NIL going to even propel them even further ahead of other teams? Um, I think it's just going to be kind of interesting to see how that plays out across every sport. Um, I, I do think it might make a difference depending on uh, what sport it is, maybe. I don't know. Um, just kind of depends on the kid and what, he's, uh, what he or she's kind of trying to look for. Um, and where they're trying to play or if they're trying to go somewhere just for the money to an extent. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like if I was in, uh, in, in an athlete's shoes looking for, for something to do in college, I would kind of, you know, take, take the salary route. If you're thinking you can play at, at two different schools, the same rate, if you're going to get paid more at the other then, I mean, you might as well go and play there. What's what's going to hurt to go do that for you at that point in your life? So, um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's just going to kind of depend on the situation, really. Because, uh, like I said, I think that problem's just going to arise in every single sport because every single sport's got their own dominant programs, and they're going to have the same opportunities that the other powerhouses are in other sports. Jack, I want to approach this from one angle we haven't talked about similar to that discussion, which is looking at baseball now, which is a revenue sport, but for most schools is a money loser. Um, so it's an interesting segue because it's right on that divide. The common complaint about Vanderbilt and TCU have been these private schools using outrageous um, amounts of money to buy good teams using, you know, the fact that they are private schools to kind of wiggle through some of the restrictions relating to scholarships. So let's take a look at the NIL at, from the baseball perspective. Does that eliminate some of the competitive advantages that these, some of these schools have, you know, allegedly Vanderbilt, almost definitely TCU, almost definitely have had, um, you know, will NIL help baseball start 
to grow the game as boosters are forced to invest more into it to get kids, you know, to come to their school? I think that's a great question. And I think that, I think that it puts teams on a more level playing field. Um, There's a reason that Vanderbilt excels in baseball more in more than any other sport. And, and, and it's all but a foregone conclusion that they, they do wiggle around the scholarship uh, limitations because of their private school status. I'm, it's pretty well known fact that back in the early 2010s, TCU did the same thing um, when they were going to the College World Series every year. And so it becomes, I don't know if it, does it help as much teams that are public and that have to require are required to go by the 11.7 scholarships, which for now is sticking or does it almost hurt these private schools more? Because as we've talked about more recently than anything, schools that have public universities, public institutions like Texas tech are going to have more students they're going to have a larger alumni base. They're going to have just a larger pool to draft from when it comes to NIL stuff like this than private schools are. TCU has, what, 12,000, 13,000 kids on campus right now, at TCU and Baylor. So, you know, are does this hurt them more than it helps places like Tech? Uh, it's, it's a debate. I think it definitely puts tech on a level playing field. Um, again, I'm not going to knock any other programs in tech, but it blow absolutely blows my mind that right now we're talking about um, a couple of programs that have uh, that have NIL deals in place for the entire program, and. I'm going to be blunt about this. Those are two, probably two of our lesser performing programs in the athletic department over the past five to 10 years. You know, football, I mean, be honest, 2013 when we started 7-0 and under Cliff, that was a while back. Um, you know, we went to the NCAA tournament with the women a couple of times maybe and I mean, you could count it. You could definitely count it on one hand how many times we've been in the last fifteen years. So, it, it, it's and again, I'm not dogging on any program, but it absolutely blows my mind that there's no uh, NIL deals in place for basketball, which has been a huge revenue boost over the last five to six years, or baseball, a team that has been consistently in the postseason every season since 2013 um we need to get on that so if anyone who makes those decisions is listening get these baseball guys paid man because they deserve it they work their ass off year round as do all the teams but um baseball is definitely a program that has uh, excelled every year for the past 10 years so um Anyway, I, to answer your question, I, I think it's a great, it's a great leveler. It, it definitely levels out 
the field from what we're used to seeing with places like Vanderbilt and TCU kind of skirting the rules, it definitely puts or gives other programs a more level playing field for sure. Yeah, I, th- I think there is some, tr- you know, questions about what's going on with baseball and basketball. Um, you know, why why are these programs that have had the most success on campus struggling to get, you know, some NIL deals? Granted, I, I will say 100% until the Matador Club stepped in, um, football wasn't really breaking it in, right? Like, they, those players were as active as anybody asking for NIL deals, I think it is inherently true. It's something I've seen a lot of guys talk about. The top players in the nation make a lot of money. Everybody else is not. You know, the average NIL deal is not anywhere close to six figures. It's more like five figures, right? Like, that's that's reality. But why the two best programs in the, on campus are seemingly getting not the short end of the stick, but a little less, it's hard to understand. Baseball in particular is tough because baseball, it's so easy for NIL to make an impact. If NIL steps in where there's a scholarship limit and says, hey, you know, we're going to give everybody $15,000, $20,000, that is a monstrous impact to a sport in which you get 11 and a half scholarships. You know, like that's, that is a ridiculously easy value to boost a top tier program. So yeah, if anybody out there actually has connections to those people who have the big pockets, that's a sport that needs it. But um we're about at the halfway mark of the show, so we're going to transition now. The NIL discussion, in no means, is by no means, is settled, right? Like, there's tons more angles to talk about this. There's a lot that we'll be we'll find out about as you know. Um, I think there's been some recent movements on legislation. Uh, Tommy Tuberville's deal isn't going to go anywhere because he's got no juice, and frankly, he's an idiot. But um, you know, there are going to be legislative pushes behind this. We're going to find out the long term impact and how it plays in the transfer portal kind of as, as we go. But I want to be clear that, you know, while we haven't covered every angle, I hope we've given you guys a good look at um, a lot of the ways NIL can be talked about and a lot of the discussion around it. So hopefully you understand, at least from the tech perspective, this is where we are. Now we're going to transition to the football season, and this will be the last off-season topic was that NIL one. Now we're going to be full tilt into football. We'll talk about some other sports and major news breaks, but we're going to be primarily focused breaking down everything for you guys as we go. I said we're going to talk expectations, and we're going to talk about it kind of removed from actual opponents, right? We're going to break down opponents. We're going to break down key matchups, all this jazz as we get going to the offseason, into the season. I want to focus now more what it would mean for Tech to succeed in year one. How do you define success on the field without considering wins and losses? And how can Coach McGuire take it to the next level? So I'm going to open this one up to Reed first and focus on a question I've been thinking about quite a bit lately, which is, you know, Reed, when we talk about success in year one, it's not your roster. Um, the transfer portal helps, but it, it just reality now that you can't turn a roster in one off season. Um, you know, a lot of guys are super seniors. A lot of these guys were hoping produce. What does it actually mean for tech in year one? If coach McGuire goes, you know, six and six, seven and five, and he keeps the ball moving forward. What would that mean for the program? Yeah, I think anything that is, you know, even to the success of last year uh, or, or more, is probably what I would consider s- successful. I mean, you got to think this is McGuire's first year at a, as a head coach, and 
Division One Power Five football. Obviously, he's had success most places he's been in his career, but it's never been, uh, you know, this position at this level of, of competition. So, I mean, I mean, giving him time is is obviously something that needs to be done, as long as you can see some some progress in in certain areas. Uh, one one thing I would probably want to look for um, as a fan and as someone who you know looks at, at football in, in various ways uh, for you know positive movement and stuff. Uh, I, w- I would say just consistency throughout the year is what I would like to see in terms of production, not necessarily from individual players, but uh, from the team as a whole, no matter who is on the field. Um, I think a lot of people can agree there's been a lot of tech teams in the past you know decade or you know going even going to the leech here where there's just pretty much like a roller coaster of a season all over the place even if we do go nine and three or whatever it was when leech was there um like when you go back to the hair on crabtree year when we beat ut and then a couple weeks later we go to oklahoma and get get murdered in norman stuff like that i just want to see you know us be competitive in every game not go to austin again and lose by 35 like we did last year that's just uh, you know, not what you want to see from a program you're hoping is trying to trend upward. Um, if they can just put some good performances together and, you know, kind of play consistently, I think that's what I would, you know, really like to see from this, this program as a whole this year, uh, to say the least. Jack, I'll, I'll take the same question to you. What would it mean to see TAC? We're going to talk about what success actually is, but what would it mean to have actual success for back-to-back seasons? You know, rise out of the teams that just can't get in bowl eligibility and become get back to consistent bowl eligibility as a program. I think it means everything in the world. If there's anything that Tech fans can agree on, it's that we want to see the football program succeed. Um, you know, for each person who watches tech or who's a fan of tech success could be a different thing to them to each person it could be different you know uh, first for someone and in, in terms of wins and losses it could be six six wins in a bowl game um, for most I think that that is a reasonable measuring point uh, in the first couple of years. But I think that in just broad terms of being able to get back to consistent bowl eligibility every year, along along with the NIL deals, along with the massive new uh, project in the South End Zone, it just gets you excited. Like, why wouldn't you want to come play for Texas Tech? It's a team that's trending in the right direction. You got one of the most hyped football coaches in the country that's the head coach now. You have the offensive coordinator of the team who was number two in the country in points per game last year uh, and among Division One schools. It's just getting back to consistent bowl eligibility just – basically validates everything that tech is doing. It validates the coaching staff. It validates the donations made by donors. 
I, I was very vocal about this because I was in attendance for the Kansas State game last year, which was the last game that Matt Wells was the head coach, um, I, I think. And, uh, you know, it was very it – was, it was a very humbling game. It was a game where you saw Tech up by two to three scores and give it away and end up losing the game and love it to Kansas State. Um, but I was very vocal in my post-game article and my recap following in the week that I said, what if you were Dusty Womble and you made a $40 million donation, the largest ever single donation in tech history, and that's what happens in the next game. I, I believe I put, and if I'm not, I'm pretty sure I did, word for word, I said I would want to vomit into a trash can if I donated that much money, and that's what happened the following week. But getting back to consistency, like that bull eligibility every year, you know, it would validate all of that. It would validate the $40 million of donations. It would validate the, you know, $200 million South End Zone project. It just makes everything worthwhile and it ma- makes it, it kind of puts you on a road map and in a trending map that's going upward and it firmly cements you there, in my opinion. Yeah, I think from my perspective, just the ability to say as a program that you're not, that the bar is, you know, your starting block should be ball eligibility. I believe that sincerely, that Tech as a program, while it doesn't have national title blue blood status, as a program, it, it has more than just, well, hell, we got to six wins this year, great effort. That should be the expectation. That's that's the starting point when you can expect bowl eligibility. So in year one, you know, if you were able to do that, if you were able to string together two successive years bowl eligibility, I think that would send a great signal through, you know, the kind of the techosphere of, Hey, we're going somewhere, right? Like we're going somewhere. We got there. There are firm plans in the works. We have an idea of the trajectory. Uh, we're gonna. We're really gonna get to where we need to be soon. And that's 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 the starting goal. Um, is is certainly taking in for in, into account the um, where you are now, which is you know it's not clear that you're you're in position yet. Um, so the flip side of this, though, is now trying to decide what success actually means. And I want to look at this first from kind of a – we've talked about consistency, but I want to talk about hard measurables on the field. You know, uh, Jack, I'm going to let you take this one first, but the, the, what I mean is we, we've talked a lot about in the past, you know, we want to see consistency, we want to see competitiveness. But what are things on the field, hard areas you look at to define a team that's getting better? Where, where, where do you go first? What's the area you go to first and say, if this improves, I'll be pretty happy with where we're at. God, it's <laughs> with, with so met with the way the, the current state of the program, I should say, this answer could be very broad. It could be a lot of different things. Uh, you could look at passing defense. You could look at points per game. It's hard because 
we were so spoiled for so long with how many points per game we scored. You know, we were averaging in the high forties for a decade. And so it's, it's hard to experience scoring 42 to 49 points every week and then go back to scoring like 21 or 14 in some weeks. It's, it's hard to, grasp it's hard to come to grips with i think for me personally if you can see a difference in the play calling um i wrote i put out an article today previewing the running backs and the wide receivers if you haven't had a chance to uh, read it go go take a look at it on view the matadors but um zach Kelly likes to take shots down the field and we were so stagnant on offense for so long with poor play calling. Uh, I, again, I don't mean to um, dog on anyone personally. Uh, I was, I was not a fan of play calling when David Yost was the offensive coordinator at Texas Tech. Uh, I remember there was one famous sequence that is still mentioned in tech circles quite often. I believe we were at home against Iowa State. And I believe it was the first year that Matt Wells was the coach and Yost was the offensive coordinator where uh, there were three three back-to-back-to-back bubble screens called just to alternate sides of the field on, on a series. And they went three and out. They got tackled behind the line each three times, all three times. And I believe it was like fourth and 40 or something like that. They had lost 10 yards on each screen, but they kept going to it because they were going to live or die by that. Um, I think for me, success, or I guess a difference is being able to see positive body language in terms of the offense receiving the play, knowing what the play is, and then busting their ass full bore running this play. There were definitely times over the past three years where the call came in and you could definitely see guys heads hanging because they're like, God, are we really doing this again? Like this screen isn't going to work or I'm sorry, but it's, it's third and 25. I'm not a halfback draw up. The middle is not going to get it done. Um, so I think that, just in terms of what I could see personally to change, that would mean things were changing for the, for in a positive way, I should say is just a positive body language, a positive demeanor on the sideline. There are times in the past couple of years where you would look down there and everyone would look just miserable being on the sideline. Like they didn't want to be there. Um, Maybe not as much this past year, but definitely in the years prior to last, you could definitely see there were times where guys were just like, what the hell is happening? So I think positive, positive body language, you know, people excited. And I think that's what has made Joey McGuire so, uh, you know, likable with this fan base is because for the past few years, you know, this fan base has been dejected at what's going on on the field. It's this, it was the same post-game interactions. It was the same excuses every week. 
oh, we'll get better next week. We, you know, we saw this this week and we'll, we'll improve on impacts. Well, nothing ever changed. And so I think that having a coach that is actually visibly contributing to changes, it really does help that, you know, you were willing to keep Sonny Cumbie as a nod to one of Tech's own, but, you know, he leaves and goes to Louisiana Tech as the head coach. So you go out and you get the guy who is not only a Tech alum, who not only coach, helped coach Patrick Mahomes, but a guy who was responsible, who was calling plays for the second best offense in the country last year. Like, that's a big get for a first-year head coach in a new regime. Like, that is a huge get. And I guarantee, I, I would be willing to bet any amount of money that if Tech wouldn't have got him, someone else would have. So I just think that it's just little changes like that that you can see, and it and it affects the kids out on the field positively. And once you see that, every like you said, like we've mentioned before, everything starts trending up. It's a lot easier to want to go to practice every day when you're having fun, when you know there are coaches there that care, and when you know that you're going to have a good time regardless of what happens. So it makes things a lot easier. For me personally, the area I want to see most is the, is the sack category. Um, you know, you have Tyree Wilson, who everyone's going to pay attention to, right? That the teams are going to work to neutralize him. So I need to see some, some pressure, right? Like I, I felt the biggest complaint I had about Keith Patterson was how stagnant and boring the defensive scheme was. It wasn't that I, I thought the defense was better under Patterson. I thought that's, you know, he deservedly got three years, whereas, you know, we had to pull the trigger on Yost after two because his offense was just so hysterically bad. I thought the defense was getting better under Patterson, but the problem is, is that, you know, Tech doesn't have super elite defensive backs. They've got some good players coming back this year. I think the secondary is going to be a strength. But especially last year, it was not a strength, and it has not been the last few years. And lining up in a base three-man front and running your guys into a wall over and over and over again led to the results we saw. We didn't have a true elite pass rusher. Wilson kind of came on late, but and Tech was like last in the Big 12 in sacks, maybe besides Kansas. You know, it had a bottom-tier pressure rate. It didn't get many tackles for loss. They didn't do anything. I need to see a defensive line that's able to get sacks. I need to see more blitz packages. I need to see more stunts and twists. I need to see that movement. If, if Tech does that and has a high-pressure defense, I'm going to live with the fact that your secondary may or may not be able to stop people, and I'm going to live with the fact that your linebacker core is very vulnerable because you, when it, at least you committed to doing something right. Right, like if you told me right now, we get a, a defensive line that can get pressure and a secondary that's going to be just average, then I'm going to feel pretty good about the year. Right, like the linebacker core might hurt you in the run game. I'm not willing to say definitively that those guys can't play, but you know there's some weaknesses there. But if you told me right, like you're going to be top three in the Big Twelve in sacks, top four, and you're going to have a secondary that isn't giving up, you know, top, it's going to be top five in pass defense. Then okay, I can live with that. You probably had an okay year unless the offense is really plummeted. So that's that's a category I'm going to look at is most, is did you get better at something you did not do well? You were terrible at generating pressure. You were awful at getting the quarterback on the ground or forcing a quick throw. Um, there are a lot of mobile quarterbacks in the Big 12. You're not necessarily going to be able to get them on the ground, but we didn't even pressure them, right? Like they sat back all day and just picked Tech apart. 
because the secondary just cannot be expected to hold up for the amounts of times we give people. So I want to see if, if, if I can have any one area tech takes a step forward in and to say, this is a good sign. It's there. You're, you got a defensive line with some vets on it. You have an elite pass rusher. Go make a play. Um, Reed, I want to go to you now. Same question, which is what what is a, a you know something on the field tangible that you look to say this was a step forward, this is a success. Yeah, I think they're uh, kind of like what Jack said earlier. There's there's multiple routes you could you could go with this question because there's just um, there's just many categories that we could improve on. Uh, obviously, last year we were better than we've been in a few years, but um, there's always something you can get better at, especially the program where it's at right now uh with with a new staff coming in um i, th- I think i'd kind of go as a whole uh something that would try and improve on based on the last few years is just decision making and i think that goes for coaching coaching staff and for players i think there's too many times where you know we're kind of wondering why we're doing certain things in certain situations um you know kind of based off what jack said with Yost calling thousand screenplays a game uh that was always head scratchers and you know i think there's decision making times with the clock and stuff where where wells made some interesting calls or uh, i think it was tcu a couple years ago we we went for a field goal on third down in a situation where we were you know trying to play catch up um go back to kansas state last year and we had third and a mile kansas state did and we got a you know, hands to the face penalty on our D, our guy on D line, small things like that. I think if you just try and clean up, it would make your season and your your life just so much easier in terms of trying to win a football game in the Big Twelve. Uh, you know, if you don't if you don't beat yourself, it's going to make it a lot easier. To try and do what you need to do uh, on and off the field. I do think McGuire's got a better base of uh, not necessarily staff as a whole. Uh, I, th- I think it's just more of a staff that people are more going to be more familiar with um a lot of them a lot of those guys are texas high school football coaches who a lot of people in, in lubbock and the dallas and you know houston areas are familiar with and and you know in return i think that's a good thing for recruiting because kids that are out of these high schools are going to know who they are and their coaches are going to know them well so i think that's going to help out with you know kind of getting the guys that mcguire wants to know and um, getting guys in there he knows can can do a well a good a good job on and off the field with you know being disciplined um, making smart decisions when when it comes to like times where we need smart decisions to be made in order to win a football game um, outside of that I, I will agree with you Michael we need to we need to get some more pressure on the quarterback very wholeheartedly uh, that's that's definitely one thing we have struggled with mightily and you know I think um, Deruder's scheme seems a lot different uh you know what we've run the last three years with Keith Patterson um I like coach Patterson a lot he was is a good guy and he, he coaches hard out trying to get those guys to do what you want them to do and there was obviously some improvement the last few years um with our defense and there was definitely a time period right when he got there and probably even the season after where we definitely lacked some talent in certain areas uh, I think that showed um quite quite badly at, at certain times so you can't necessarily blame all that on him, but at the same time, I think he he did well with what he had uh, most of the time. Um, but I think DeRuiter's scheme is going to be interesting because he's, you know, Tyree Wilson's going to, from what I've seen so far, he's going to be more of an outside linebacker, kind of a rush end, standing up half the time. So 
I think that's going to be interesting to see kind of how he adjusts to that and kind of how they use some guys that didn't play as much last year or didn't have as big a role. Um, one guy I'm interested in a lot is Josiah Pierre. He's got a really good build. Um, really, you know, he's really made for for Big 12 football, size and speed and stuff. So I think he'll be used well, and you know that kind of goes for a lot of guys across the board. Um, yeah, just as a whole, I think just maintain some some vulner not be as vulnerable in certain areas with decision making stuff. And I think this season's going to be you know hopefully similar to last year with some cleaning up mistakes. Maybe we'll win a few more games than we did. Now we've kind of we've, that was kind of tangible areas. Now I'm going to look at this from you know an overall perspective, and this is a conversation I know we've had before. But again, I think it's important to reiterate as we get ready to really prime for the football season, which is what does success actually look like in year one? And I'm not talking about just from the wins and losses perspective, but what does it look like? Like what what does McGuire have to do in year one to keep momentum moving forward? Is it okay if you just upset a few people? Is it okay to just get to a bowl game? Does he have to win eight games? You know, what does success actually look like, you know, when we get to the end of the year? We just talked about where you can find it on the field, the things that will make a difference. Now, what is that end product that actually means that Jack will let you go first? What to you, what record means success and how does Tech have to go about it? I truly think that you can have a successful season without making a bowl game this year. Uh, I know I just talked a whole bunch about how making a bowl game and consistently is a huge deal, and it is. But I think being a first-year head coach, not just at Texas Tech, but anywhere at the power five or at the college level—not just power five level, but the college level—I um, think with a whole new offensive system that these guys have to learn a whole new defensive system that these guys have to learn. Um, the guys have bought in no doubt. I think that a bunch of first year stuff going on coupled with, I mean, let's be honest, it's a tough schedule. Um, two of your three non-con get, uh, opponents are ranked in the top 20 in the country to start the year, uh, being Houston and NC state. So is it possible that Tech goes one in five in its first six games? Yeah, it is. It's very possible, but is it also possible that Tech goes three and three? Yeah. They could also go four and two. It's, it's a very up in the air, schedule or I guess in the first couple of games uh, they could go either way it's pretty much a toss-up in my in my mind I'd like to keep it as, as a toss-up um, the thing that I think bodes well for tech this year uh, in terms of success is the fact that there are a lot of changing variables in the big 12 for the first time in a while um, Lincoln Riley's leaving, so you have a first-time head coach in Brent Venables at OU. Um, he he's never been a coach uh, at in a Big Twelve school. Uh, you, you know you have you have other things happening. You, Baylor has to replace a, an All-American running back and uh, some key some key pieces on defense. Texas is going to try out a kid that hasn't played football in two years. 
in a game situation as, as their starter. Um, granted, their running game is going to be outstanding. Uh, I think te- what Texas' running backs are is the best running back duo in the Big 12. Um, I think Taj Brooks and Sir Robert Thompson are close, but uh, no one's going to touch Roshan Johnson and B. John Robinson when it comes to a duo standpoint. Um, you know, Oklahoma State has a new D coordinator. Uh, de- defense was Oklahoma. The reason Oklahoma State excelled last year without their defense, their middle of the road Big Twelve. So there's a lot of ever changing var- variables this year within the conference, and I think that's why success is very gettable for Texas Tech in this first year. Um, I like I said, I think with certain things happening with people buying in and seeing just a true trending up. Maybe you, maybe you have an upset at home uh, this year. Maybe you upset a team that you're not supposed to beat at home in front of a packed house at Jones, just to give the fans something to remember from this season. Um, I think that could be a part of success. I think personally for me, I I would say success to me this year. Um, it would be it would be at least six wins in a bowl game. I'd like to see the bowl consistency established just from the get go. Just get it out there, saying bowls aren't where our finishing line is. Bowls are our starting point, like you mentioned earlier. That's where we start. We don't want to pack it in. Say, oh, six wins, you made a bowl, great year. Um, Six wins is to be expected, and bowl games are to be expected. Um, I think realistically, I think at the end of this year, I would be right. I would go on, stake my answer on it, saying that I believe, uh, for me, success this year looks like six wins and a bowl. Don't necessarily have to win the bowl game, uh, but I think six wins and a bowl – is what success looks like for me this year. For me, I you talked about the schedule and I don't really know definitively, you know, what this is going to look like. You know, there's a lot of questions about uh, how good is NC State actually going to be? How good is Houston going to be? But let's just say they're as good as advertised. NC State looks like maybe the number one, number two team in the ACC, top three at the minimum. Houston looks like the clear favorite to win the AAC and potentially a top 15, 10 team. You know, last year, though, Tech was firmly, and I I, I watched this game. Houston dominated the first half where Tech looked completely shell-shocked. But once they settled down, Tech was a lot better than the Cougars. I don't know if that's going to be the case this year, if if Houston really has closed the talent gap. If Tech just has their number, I don't know. But I, I find it hard to believe that Houston's going to be that much better than Tech. So if I'm looking at the, the two games, that's where I'm looking to get a win. NC State may legitimately be more talented. I do not believe Houston is. They may be a better team overall, but the talent gap's smaller. So that's where I'm looking to split. You get to 2-1. and one, You know, you also got U of H at home, which is a huge help, in front of what is going to be a very loud Tech crowd. A lot of excitement, even, after, even if you drop the NC State game. Um, as long as you're competitive there, I think people will be really hyped. Uh, you're two and one there. The rest of the schedule, I can't predict that side of Kansas what's going to happen. Um, I think the the Big Twelve is even as it's been in years. That also means it's as good as it's been in years. 
Um, Oklahoma State and Baylor look like the toast of the conference. OU looks as vulnerable as they've been in the last 20 years. Um, I think OU's very weak this year. This is a chance for Tech maybe to get that one. I think Texas has more holes than they want to admit. I think Sarkeesian's already trying to manage expectations. They look vulnerable. I don't believe in Neil Brown at West Virginia. TCU lost a whole bunch of guys and is breaking in a new coach. They're vulnerable. Um, Kansas State's praying that Adrian Martinez and his 1,000th year football gets better. They're vulnerable. But if he's good, you know, they could be incredible. So it's just, it's a crapshoot. I don't know what Tech's going to do. So here's what I'm going to say to success means to me. One, I think a bowl game has to be the barrier for success. I know I've read articles that say, you know, Tech could have a good year and go 4-8. and eight. I don't buy it. If you're losing football games, it's not fun. That's just reality. I don't care how you're losing football games. We've lost a lot of games close over the years. I hate losing football games. I hate seeing them happen. Uh, I just don't buy that you can feel good about a year in which you don't play in the postseason. I think you know that also means you lost to a whole bunch of rivals. It also means that you lost to basically everyone you were supposed to, and that's not a good feeling. But I will say this. Whatever happens, the number one thing, Jack mentioned it, competitiveness. I think Reed mentioned it, consistency. I think Jack mentioned it as well. You guys kind of have – we've all had this theme. If you want to look better, to me, you should beat the teams you're supposed to handle it. That's Murray State and Kansas. Those should be easy Ws. Kansas is going to be terrible. Just reality. They're going to be terrible. Against the teams that are legitimately better than you, which I think is Oklahoma State, Baylor, and probably NC State, you need to be in those games. I hate losing football games. I hope you beat these guys, but if you're going to lose, you can't do what was happening with, uh, you know, last year, right? Like where you're just getting blown out against the good teams. You only competed against one legitimately good team, which was Baylor. Um, and then you beat Iowa State and Can- Kansas State, you choked it away. And neither of those two were that great. Baylor was the only great football game Tech played. They still lost. So, but we all felt pretty good about that, right? Like that was a great game. That was, you looked competitive. You went to their house and shocked them a bit. You almost ruined their Big 12 season. Uh, so that's what I want to see. Secondly, you can't get blown out against teams like Texas. In fact, I say if you beat Texas, if you beat TCU, you're feeling pretty good about the year regardless. You took care of business against the teams in the state you're supposed to – you want to beat more than anybody else. Baylor, you'd want to too, but they may be a bit out of your league this year. So to me, that's that's how you can define it. It's just this – you need to look like a football team that's getting better, right? Like maybe – look at Dave Aranda's first year at Baylor. They lost a whole bunch of games close. Um, maybe that's what happens this year. Maybe you do go 4-8, and eight and it's not a good year, but – you were in these games with a team that most people thought was not going to be very good. That's what you want to see, a team that's able to compete. Um, that that to me, but if what actually can define success, you got to win six games. I, I just I don't buy that anything less than six is truly a success. I think you get to a bowl game, you keep the momentum right where it needs to be. You got a great recruiting class come in. You're going to have a great year two with some more guys. But by year three, I think he can really have the ship moving in the right direction. Uh, maybe even in year two, depending on how the transfer portal plays out. Reed, you're going to close this out on this topic, though. What does success actually look like in year one? Yeah, I think uh, all three of us are in agreement uh, collectively that we need to make a bowl game. I think that is, you know, the standard, the low, the lowest standard we need to have. Uh, obviously, there is some scenarios where if you do do less than a bowl game, there's um, some aspects you could get better in because i mean like you said if you think about dave aranda's first year he didn't win many games even going back to matt roll his first year baylor did win many games but he turned that thing around pretty quick as well so 
Um, you can look at it that way, but it, it's hard for me to enjoy losing that many games in a, in a season of football uh, where we only get one season a year. So I would like to see you know those six plus wins uh, coming every year, whether it's the first one or the fifth. Um, for me, I would I would like to almost I guess kind of say stack success to an extent. Um, just kind of like what I was talking about earlier. I don't want to see the roller coaster of uh, a different team every week, Jekyll and Hyde. I want to see, you know, we're in every game. If we lose some, we win some. I don't want to see 35 points, you know, that 35-point loss to, to UT and that crazy blowout game against TCU that happened for literally zero reason um, in Lubbock after we come off that big win in West Virginia. You know, we want to keep stacking on what's going on keep the keep the ship going upward and you know make something good out of it in in mcguire's first year i think we got a lot of good pieces coming in um a lot of good pieces coming back from last year um in in some positions that are usually vulnerable Uh, i think the secondary is going to be the best it's been knock on wood uh best it's been in a while um looking at some a few guys there i think they're going to step up and be the leaders on the defense because uh, you you lost some guys that were leaders that were you know kind of in the front seven uh, with Rico and uh, Colin Schooler and some of those guys. Uh, so I think it's going to be good to have uh, Taylor Taylor Demerson and um, Reggie Pearson. Some of those dudes are are going to be huge for us this year, being able to come back and uh, keep playing for us. Um, but yeah, just as a whole, consistency is just such such a big thing for me because I've just it's just something I've never been used to with tech football, basically my whole life it seems like. So uh, if I could see that in year one, I would I would feel pretty positive looking forward to what we what we've got going on. Yeah, I mean consistency, competitiveness. There's. These are the things that we've been told is, you know, the brand, right? Like we're going to be the hardest, most competitive team. We're going to work harder than everybody else. We're going to be West Texas. Those are the things Coach McGuire is selling us all on. That's what has united the fan base. So, you know, obviously when you're talking, what does success mean? Let's see it. Matt Wells came in preaching discipline and we gave up. God, I mean, he's fired because of a stupid penalty, right? Like that's, that's. He didn't prove it out. They didn't play disciplined football. And in year one, we had a stupid lateral to Kansas, right? Like that that's where coaches can lose a fan base. They come in preaching toughness, blah, 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 and then not do it. So that's where what we all want to see. I think Coach McGuire can get it done. That may not mean a ton of wins in year one. We're gonna start breaking down the team coming weeks and you'll get a feel for where we're at. Maybe it means a four and eight season, but damn it, we better see what's being preached because I want this to work. I'm it feels good to be excited about tech football again, folks. And I would really hate to lose that because we just lay a dot and just get killed in year one. So let's all be rooting for success. We're going to start, like, as I mentioned, we're going to start offense defense. We're going to start breaking down key personnel, talk about the quarterback battle, start talking about the opponents on the schedule, walking through where the wins can be found, where some of those are going to be trickier to find and really just starting to break down tech football. So stay tuned for future episodes. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Wreck them and have a good rest of your day whenever you're listening to this.